Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so grateful. Lord, we thank you that you were genuinely, truly born of a virgin. You lived a perfect life and fulfilled every letter of the law. That you died on the cross that I deserved. Lord, you died on the cross that we deserved. Oh man, but Father, you... You did not allow the Son to remain dead. But on the third day, Lord Jesus, You were raised and You are alive today. God, thank You for the miracle of our redemption, of our salvation. Lord, that's what we want to focus on in these moments. We sing to You about that salvation And now we turn our hearts and our minds, our attention to your holy word, to your words of life. So, Spirit, I pray that you would move through this time and add your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. Lord, I know that as I stand behind this pulpit, Lord, I I realize that I'm I'm unworthy and I'm, I'm unable. But God, you are worthy. Spirit, you are able. So would you speak in spite of a foolish and frail servant, Lord? Would you speak to us this morning and teach us and grow us and challenge us and encourage us all by the power of your word? We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we are indeed taking a break from Exodus, and so we may return to Exodus in several months or sometime in the future, but for now we are going to kind of shift gears and look towards Christmas and look towards the incredible miracle of Christ being born and living a perfect life. So when he stepped down into this sin-cursed world, cursed by our own sin. And it is a fifth Sunday. It is our tradition and custom at Bethany for probably, I would guess, around 162 years now, maybe, that every fifth Sunday we take communion together as a church. And so we'll be doing that this morning. I want to be up front with you and let you know that we ordered communion elements that were COVID-friendly again, these uh, these pre-filled cups, but they, uh, we, they got delayed several times. They did not show up. So We have, I think, enough for everybody, but it will not look the same as it did the last time. So just bear with us. I'll give you all the instructions that you need once we get to that point in our service. But we did not have enough to put in the backs of the pews like we did last time. I think we've got plenty enough for everybody here, just not enough to, it takes a lot to fill up these pews. So just be aware that that is coming. So because we will be taking communion together and worshiping the Lord in that way, and because it is Christmas time, we're going to turn this morning to John chapter 13. So if you'll turn with me in your Bible, whether that's a book with pages or a phone or a tablet, or whether you just want to follow along on the screen, uh, however you would like to follow along, I encourage you to turn to the gospel of John chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through verse 21. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. As you find your place 
in sacred scripture, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? I will read for us when I have completed the last verse. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of, pa- of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing now you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we come to this passage this morning, I know that many of us may be very familiar with this story. This may be something that you've read or studied many times over, but I encourage you this morning to listen and to pay attention with fresh ears and fresh 
eyes to this incredible and impactful story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. What I love about the Gospel of John is that John mixes no words when he's talking about Jesus and what Jesus knew. Jesus was aware of everything that was going on as John describes it to us. And so we see even in those first verses, now before the Feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. All through the Gospel of John, we are talked to about this hour, this time that John knew, portrays to us that Jesus knew when his hour was. So think back even to the story of the wedding at Cana. Remember, they run out of wine, and so they go to Jesus at Jesus' mother's request. And Mary said, look, I know you're out of wine. Just go talk to Jesus. And they said, uh, Mary said to come and talk to you. And Jesus looked at his mom and said, mother, woman, my hour has not yet come. What has this to do with me? From the very beginning of the Gospel of John, even as early as the story of the wedding at Cana, we hear that Jesus knows when his hour is. Remember when they tried to grab Jesus and throw him off the edge of the cliff later in the Gospel of John? He slips right through them and they're not able to grab him. He just disappears from among them and he says that he did that because his hour had not yet come. Well, when we reach John chapter 13, at this point in the gospel of John, he's now reached that hour. And so these last few precious moments that he has with these apostles, with these disciples is absolutely essential to his mission. He has to begin to be laser focused in what he does and in what he says and in how he instructs them. But I love that John always presents to us that Jesus is always aware. He is fully God and fully man. So there are things that we can't know that he knew in the moment. Now he was still a hundred percent man and limited and experienced everything that we experience, but he knew when his hour was. And look what it says at verse three. He knew that the father had given all things into his hands. He knew that he had come from God and he knew that he was going back to God. That is essential for everything else that happens in chapter 13. In John chapter 13, the reason that Jesus can do the audacious and incredulous things that he does, as awful as it may sound, this was way out of the ordinary. This was extremely unusual what Jesus does. The way that he's able to do that is the knowledge that he came from God and then the knowledge that he is going back to God. It's almost a shift in perspective, in focus. He knows that the light is at the end of the tunnel. Have any of you ever been running or jogging? I, I don't do it often, but I, I know that it helps um, immensely when I know I am going to go three miles. And I love when I'm on my treadmill and my treadmill is telling me how far I've gone. Because when it hits 2.5 miles, you're like, I'm going to make it. I can't breathe, but I'm going to make it. I've only got a half mile left to go. I'm going to do it. I can make it to the end. This is Jesus knowing he came from God, knowing he's about to go back to God. It doesn't bother him to think about washing the disciples' feet because he's already left his throne in glory. He's already stepped down from being beside and at one with the Father in heaven. He's already in the muck and the mire of the sinful world that we endure and that we have made a mess of. And so he has lived 30 some odd years already separated from his position of prominence by the Father at the Father's right hand. So thinking about getting a little extra dirty, thinking about doing something to serve others, to humble himself 
is not that tall of an order for Jesus, who has already humbled himself to such great lengths. He tells us in this passage, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's his mindset the entire time that he is with us. The entire time that he is Emmanuel, God with us, he understands that everybody on earth should be serving him, but he came to serve us. But what he does in this chapter is far beyond what anybody would have ever imagined him doing. We have to understand this is one of the most radical and crazy things that Jesus does in his ministry. This is weirder than when he goes right up to lepers. This is weirder than when he spits in the mud and makes a little mud pie and puts it on a dude's eyes and says, hey, you you can see. Go wash that off. You'll be able to see. Jesus is at the dinner table. And this is probably a very relaxed setting. This is right before Passover. So this is him sharing a Passover meal with his disciples But they're not very rich. They're not very extravagant. So I want you to get a visual of what's going on, of what the room looked like. This is not a banquet table like what we're used to. Rich people had banquet tables. Rich people had chairs. There's a reason that all throughout Scripture and all throughout history, people have made a big deal about having a chair. Why does the king sit on a throne? Because the king is privileged enough to have a throne to sit on. Everyone else has to stand or kneel in the king's presence, but the king has a seat. You see, we kind of swap things over these days. The position of power these days is almost standing, and somebody in a seated position is the submissive person. But all throughout history, and especially throughout Scripture, the person with the chair was the wealthier, more powerful person. Well, listen, the disciples were good old boys, all right? These are good country folk. They're, they're fishermen at best. The vast majority of them are fishermen. And so they, they don't have nice chairs to sit in. They're on a low-lying table. And so when you have a low-lying table, what you would do at the Passover is you would recline at table. That's what it talks about here in John chapter 13. They reclined at table. And do you know what reclining at table looked like? It was really awkward. They actually laid down on their stomach and they propped up. Can you imagine being at Thanksgiving and laying down on the ground on a cushion There's the table. It's a low-lying table. And so you're laying on your side, and you just propped up, and this is how you eat. And your feet are going away from the table. Hey, hey, could y'all give me some more of the mashed potatoes over there? Those are real good, okay? I want some mashed potatoes. Look, the gravy. Y'all get some gravy on them mashed potatoes. They're laying around partaking of Passover. That's how they had Passover every year. They spread the cushions out. But there's a specific reason they would lay down. You see, it might look weird to us, but you really didn't want your feet right up under you on a low-lying table when you don't typically have shoes, you don't have socks, at best you have sandals. And your sandals are wet pieces of leather, okay? Can you imagine sitting down, crisscrossed, applesauce, hands in your lap, at the low-lying table where your feet that have been walking on dirty streets cobblestone streets, maybe gravel at best, but probably just dirt roads. And don't miss that they didn't have sophisticated cars going up and down these roads. These roads are shared with a lot of livestock. So the dirt that's on your feet is is not all dirt. 
They didn't have Lamisil back then. So if you've got some crazy foot fungus going on, there's no medicine to clear up that crazy, wicked-looking toenail. You do not want your toes and your nasty feet crisscrossed on you right as you're about to eat. You won't even be able to smell your food. You'll just be smelling your feet. So they laid down, and they laid down where their feet went away from the table because you do not want your feet all up in your food. This is a very common and normal way that they would have banqueted, that they would have feasted, that they would have celebrated Passover. They did this all throughout the Roman world, all throughout the Hebrew and Jewish world. And then when you get to this actual meal, when you get there, you find out that there's going to be a boy or a child or a servant of some kind that's going to come around and offer you a basin for you to wash your hands or even to assist in washing your hands. And when you came in the building, maybe somebody would be there to help wash your feet, maybe not, but you're going to have to be really rich for somebody to be there to wash your feet. Because there's, there's rules that they have, even within Jewish law, that said Jewish slaves don't wash people's feet. You get some of the Greek slaves, some of the non-Jewish, a Gentile slave can wash your feet, but don't make a Jew do that. There was a rabbinic saying, and that just means it's a saying that went around with all the teachers of the day, that said, a teacher and a student have the same relationship as a slave to a master and a master to a slave. With one exception, a teacher should never require their student to wash their feet, should never expect their student to wash their feet, and a student should never offer to wash the feet of their teacher. That is the relationship. That's how you treated your teacher, with that kind of respect, but you didn't wash the feet. That was saved for the non-Jewish slaves. Well, can you imagine, you come up to the table, you've all laid down, and you're ready to eat, and the food is there, and, and nobody's come around to wash your hands. There wasn't anybody at the door to wash your feet, but your feet are away from the table, it's no big deal, and nobody comes around to do the hand washing. No, nobody's there at all. And, and you're kind of thinking, man, you know, Jesus doesn't usually miss much, but I, I guess he forgot to arrange for somebody to, like, come and do the hand washing thing. And it's just that awkward moment where you're looking around the table. You know that moment like maybe you had this past Thanksgiving just a few days ago where you've got like a Democrat at the table and a Republican at the table and like the Trump train person is talking about how Trump's definitely going to get into office and the lawsuits are going to go through and the Democrat's going, would you just give it up already? Joe Biden's the president. And like then there's this awkward silence and everybody's looking around at one another going, what do we do? Hey, let's talk about God. Oh, man, my cousin's an atheist. Ah, awkward. You know, just that terrible Thanksgiving silence where there's just heaviness on the table and nobody really knows what to do or what to say. That's really what they felt because it was so customary that somebody would come in and wash their hands. They're looking around like, um, so, and then Jesus stands up and he gets up from the table and he starts taking off his outer garment. And folks, when they, they, they didn't have like layers and layers of clothes. You know what I mean? Like if I took off my outer garment and then I took off this shirt, I still got an undershirt on. You know, you, you guys going, it's going to take a lot before y'all get to see any of all this jiggly skin, okay? I am covered very thoroughly. They weren't so covered thoroughly. Jesus takes off his outer garment and it's humiliating. It's shameful. There's a lot of him that is exposed. And, and it's very helpful that he takes that towel and ties it around his waist. The Son of God, the King of the universe, the one who, when things were spoken, he was there. All things were created in him and through him and by him and for him. And in him, all things hold together, just stood up and took off his clothes, humiliating himself in front of all of his 
disciples. That never would have happened among a teacher and student relationship. But then he goes and he fills a basin with water. And he starts going around the table. And, and I, I can just imagine like the weird twisting and contorting that took place as people whipped around to be like, whoa, get away from my feet. What are you doing? What are you? No, Jesus, no. And Jesus starts to wash their feet. Folks, there's just no way we can overemphasize how huge this is. Jesus absolutely subjected himself to complete humiliation. For the sake of his apostles, for the sake of the disciples, to teach them a lesson. And then part of that lesson is he says, as I have done, you do to one another. Now, I don't know, but do y'all think Jesus is meaning that we better get a gallon jug of water, keep it in the trunk of the car at all times, so that if the occasion arises, we can wash one another's feet. We got to be ready, Johnny on the spot, to wash each other's feet. I just I don't know that that's necessarily what Jesus meant. I've been to foot washing ceremonies. I've had my feet washed. I've washed other people's feet. I'm going to be honest with you. It's always awkward. It's always lovely and spiritual, but it's always incredibly awkward at the same time. There are traditions where they do that repeatedly, almost every fifth Sunday, something like that. Those are in the minority. I don't believe that Jesus is telling us it is a command that we have to wash one another's feet, but we have to serve one another and be willing to humiliate and humble ourselves the way that Christ was willing to do that for us. Not just in submitting to the will of the Father and going to the cross, but submitting to being the lowest of the low servants, born and laid in a feeding trough in a borrowed stable in a town that wasn't even his home. To a humble carpenter, never wealthy, never rich, never had a place to lay his head during his ministry. He came and there were things that he deserved, but he gave them up. Folks, how often do you and I take the attitude of, I'm not doing that. I deserve better than that. You know, and I I think I've heard a lot of sermons in my life where somebody says, stop telling yourself you deserve something. You're entitled too much. You've got to realize you don't deserve anything. You know, that, that's true. We deserve to be dead and separated from the Lord. That's true. That is what we genuinely deserve. But maybe you've worked really hard for that promotion. Maybe you really do deserve whatever it is you're thinking that you deserve. But you know, Jesus deserved everything. All the honor, all the glory, all the praise, all the convenience, all the comfort. He deserved the throne, the chair, the cushion, and everything. The air conditioning right where he wanted it set. All of his food brought to him all the time. He deserved to be served. But he chose to serve us. Sometimes even if we deserve respect, we've got to be willing to say, I'm going to forego the respect I deserve so that I can humble myself and serve you in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we have to do that in our marriages. Sometimes we have to do that parents to children, children to parents. You know, as a parent, I deserve a certain amount of respect from my children. But as a father who is also a follower of Jesus, sometimes I should set aside the respect that I know that I deserve so that I can love my children the way that Jesus loves me, the way that Jesus loved his disciples. I know that there's a respect that is owed to teachers Jesus even says, you call me Lord and you call me teacher. That's good. Pay the respect to the position for the respect that it is due. But sometimes as followers, we have to be willing to set aside the respect 
that we either actually deserve or that we think we deserve to be willing to put other people first. This is what Jesus did. This was his whole mission. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. This is a passage I I never get away from. It it blows me away every time. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes the same thing that, that Jesus just did and lived out in washing their feet. Paul writes and gives instructions to the Christians at Philippi to do and live out. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to tightly or held in his hands so that he couldn't let go of it. Or saying, I deserve to be here with the Father, so I will never let go. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to humble myself. He said, no, 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 no. He didn't count it as something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient all the way to the point of death. And not just any death. A debilitating and humiliating and shameful death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember verse 3. Remember verse 3 in John chapter 13. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. So it didn't bother him to be humble because he knew God was going to exalt him. Folks, when we know that we deserve a certain amount of respect from people, that we deserve for them to serve us or consider us more important, it is our responsibility to remember that God will see what we do. That we came from God and we're going back to God if we have faith in the Lord Jesus. And so it doesn't bother us to humble ourselves. It doesn't bother us to serve others and put other people's interests above our own and count others as more significant than ourselves and wash people's feet because we know that we're going back to God if we believe. There's a mansion that will be built. There is a room. There's a place that God has made for us in glory. There's a crystal sea. There are streets of gold. There is a paradise awaiting us where all that we have hoped to receive in life, we will get ten times better respect than we ever thought we even could dream of deserving when we are in His presence. And it won't even matter because we'll be there with Him. And so Jesus was able to humble Himself because He knew where He came from and He knew where He was going and He knew what was ahead of Him. He knew that He was about to be crucified. Man, washing somebody's feet is nothing compared to being crucified. And then, if all of that's not enough, the reason we read all the way down to verse 21 is because there's an interesting timeline that takes place here. I went down a crazy rabbit hole this week, y'all, and I, I did a lot of studying to try and find out whether or not Judas was present for that first, last supper. You know, when Jesus institutes communion, I was trying to figure out, is Judas actually around to partake of the Lord's Supper? In doing so, I stumbled across the timeline that reassures over and over again, Judas was present at the foot washing. 
Whether Judas was there to take communion or not, you could take a lot of different approaches. You could take a lot of different stances. But let me tell you what Judas was there for. He was there for the foot washing. And you and I know good and well, it was a lot easier to wash John's feet than it was to wash Judas's. But he washed them both. He washed Judas's feet. He deserved to be respected and held on high by Judas. And he knew. John tells us over and over and over again. He knew. And if we were to continue reading in chapter 13, it says that even John, the beloved apostle, leans back while they're reclining and goes, Hey, Jesus, who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, It's going to be the person that I hand this bread to after I dip it. He dips the bread, hands it to Judas. Jesus knows. And he washes Judas's feet anyway. Folks, sometimes you and I are willing to serve others. Sometimes you and I, sometimes I personally, let me not even speak for you. I am willing sometimes to forgo the respect that I know that I am due. That I'm willing to forego that I ought to be served and serve someone else. I'm willing to put somebody else's needs above mine because they're easy to love. But Jesus washed Judas' feet too. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm awful. I'm awful at washing the feet of somebody who's betrayed me. I'm awful at loving and serving the person who turned their back on me. But Jesus washed Judas' feet. Smelly, stanky, nasty, fungus-infected feet. And he scrubbed them till they were clean. And didn't even bat an eye. The only person that we get any flack from is, is Peter, which no surprise there, right? It's Peter. I mean, Peter thinks that he says it just like that. Can you imagine as Jesus washes Judas' feet, it says that the devil had already entered into him and tempted him and delivered him over into Satan's hands so that he might give Jesus up. And Jesus is washing Judas' feet and they lock eyes. And Judas knows that Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. And Jesus keeps washing his feet. Folks, we're called to serve and love and humble ourselves even for those who stab us in the back. Even the people we have no respect for. We've got to wash their feet. I've got to wash their feet. I would venture to say all of us probably have a John in our life, a beloved disciple, you know, that best friend. John was always there for Jesus. I would venture to say all of us probably have a Judas in our life, maybe to varying degrees. But are are we serving the Johns the way that we're serving the Judases? Romans chapter 12 would tell us to love them because in doing so it heaps burning coals onto their heads. It says, don't, don't take vengeance. Trust the Lord to take vengeance. Philippians told us, hey, trust in the Lord. Count others more significant than yourselves. It, it didn't say count the other people who are nice to you as more significant. It didn't say just count your wife as more significant. But if we're honest, even on our best days, how are we at counting our spouse as more significant? Even on our best days. Much less people who hate us. People who are seeking for our Ill fate. Folks, we got to be foot washers. We got to love people the way that Jesus loved people. We got to humble ourselves and not let things bother us. 
not let things consume us because we know God knit us together in our mother's womb and that when we die, if we trust in Jesus, we're going back to God. We're going to be with him in heaven forever. So what happens here, no matter the wrongs, no matter the maladies, no matter what somebody does wrong to us, we know that God will make it right when we stand face to face with him. So it's freeing to us to say, I can humble myself in front of anybody, no matter if they've stabbed me in the back, no matter how ugly they've been to me, because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And I will love people and wash feet like Jesus loved people and washed feet. And don't don't hear me up here today as, hey guys, I'm your pastor and I have perfected this. So uh, y'all get y'all get y'all's lives together because I got it down. This is hard. The Lord stomped all over my feet this week. But we got to do a better job of washing the feet of others. Humiliating and shameful as it is, love people. In the midst of the humiliation, love people even though there's shame being heaped upon us. Serve people even though we deserve to be served at times. Folks, i got a lot of work to do in that area. But then, as as we turn our attention to the table, they're at the table, right? And Jesus gives this this cryptic message back and forth to Peter. And I love this, okay? We're we're drawing to a close now. Look look with me again at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And look, I don't know where Simon was in the order, right? Like, we don't get that info in the text. We, we have no idea. Simon could have been first. He could have been twelfth. Could have been fifth. Who knows? But at whatever point, Jesus has clearly taken off his outer garment. He's clearly wrapped a towel around himself, filled a basin, and he's at your feet. And Peter looks at him and goes, golly, Jesus, you going to wash my feet? Uh, no, man, I, I was just getting you some water so you could go fishing right here for dinner. Of course I'm going to wash your feet, man. And Peter's like, uh-uh, you ain't going to do it. Now look, Peter's a fisherman, all right? I just have to imagine he's a good redneck like all of us, and he doesn't say, no, my Lord, thou shalt not wash my feet. He was a redneck fisherman. No, Jesus, you ain't going to wash my feet. I, I can hear Peter say it. And then look at how quick he flips over, right? And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you got no share in me. If you're not washed, you got no share in me. And Jesus, I mean, Peter, Jesus can no more finish what he said than Peter has completely done a 180. And he went from, you will never wash my feet to, oh, wash my head and my hands and my whole body. Lord, I just want to shower in your glory. Lord, can you give me a bath? Just like that. What does Jesus say? Whoa, 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 whoa. If you've been washed, you don't, you don't need to be washed again. If you've had a bath, there's no need for a bath again. But you may need your feet cleansed. Folks, this is, is an illusion. It's, it's an analogy for us. That if we've been washed in the blood, we're washed. We're cleansed. If you trust in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, if you have asked Him to be your Lord and your Savior, you've given control of your life over to Him, then you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's what Jesus is talking about with His disciples. They've been cleansed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a cleansing. But there's also room for confession of our sin. 
there is also room for repentance daily. Because every day we go walking, and while we're walking, our feet get dirty. While we go living in this old sin-ridden world, we keep a right on a sinning. And we may not sin quite as much as we used to, and we may be at war with that sin, and we may be winning that war with sin, but every day we sin. Every day we stumble. Every day we mess up in some way, shape, or form. And every day it doesn't hurt to get to the end of the day or the beginning of your day and say, Lord, would you wash my feet just once again? I I trust you. I know you've cleansed me. I know I've been washed in the blood. I know that the penalty of my sin no longer stands against me. I know that if I were to die today, Lord, I would stand before you in glory and you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. But I also know that I failed you today. I also know that I let you down. I also know that my feet got dirty. Would you forgive me once again? Folks, we don't want to approach the Lord's table with dirty feet. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We don't approach the table in an unworthy manner. You probably shouldn't approach the table at all if you've never been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That we should not partake of the Lord's Supper with sin in our heart. We should not partake of the Lord's Supper with a grudge against our brother or sister. We should not partake of the Lord's Supper if we've never trusted in Jesus as our Savior. There is no shame in passing the plate to the next person or not partaking because you know there's a grudge that you haven't forgiven. You know that you don't really trust or know Jesus. You know about Him, but you haven't given your life to Him. I would encourage you this morning that as we come to this table here in just a few moments, make sure that your feet are clean. And most importantly, Make sure that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus was the perfect spotless Lamb, just like we talked about in Exodus. His blood, the Lamb's blood, covered the doorpost and the passing over took place. Jesus will pass over our sins if we allow His blood to cover our sins. Have you done that yet? Brother, sister in Christ, if you've already done that, when was the last time you washed your feet? When was the last time you let Jesus wash your feet? So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to draw this sermon to a close and how we're going to finish out our our worship time. We're going to read a confession together. We're going to read the first 12 verses of Psalm 51 together. And then Jason will come and lead us in a song and during that song that Jason leads us, leads us in, I want to encourage you to respond and repent. If that means you pray right where you are, that's fantastic. If that means you come to these steps to symbolically humble yourself before the Lord, that's fantastic. If you feel led to come down and say, i got to trust in Jesus, you come grab me or Jake by the hand and say, I need Jesus. We'll be happy to talk and pray with you. But whatever you've got to do, let's read this together from the depths of our soul, meaning every word. And then spend this next song getting our hearts right with the Lord, making sure that our feet are clean as we approach His table. Would you please stand if you're physically able? And I would encourage you to read aloud with me. Psalm 51. Read this as a prayer of repentance. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret part. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you that you offer us the opportunity to be completely redeemed. Lord, that You tell us in Romans 8, there is no condemnation. There is no penalty. There is no longer a judgment for those who are in You. Lord, thank You for that assurance. But God, each day I know that I fail You. I know that we fall short as a church family. Would You forgive us? Would You move during these moments to cleanse our hearts that we might approach your table, in humility, in sincerity, in a worthy manner. We love you, Father. Thank you that for every confessed sin, there is the assurance of forgiveness. If we are faithful to confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that's found in your gospel. Would you move during these times? We love you, Father. Amen. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness There's light for a look at the And life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. In 
so much church would you remain in that spirit of prayer and be seated for just a moment i'm going to go over some instructions for us just trying to be as as respectful as we can given the circumstances the way that we will take communion this morning is jake and i will have the elements and i will start with this section here jake will start with the far section if you would like to worship through communion then you can come down to the outside. You come down, get the elements, and go back to your seat. And then we'll all sing together. We'll pray together and take the bread. 
Then we will sing together and pray together and take the juice, and then we'll pray together and we'll be dismissed. Um, We've got one deacon that's going to come and help deliver to those who are serving, and um, at this time we're going to begin to get the elements ready. I'll let you know, and then Jake and I will be in front of these sections, then we'll move to these two sections, all right?
One of the earliest records that we have of the Lord's Supper is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul writes as though he received this directly from the lips of Jesus. He says in chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We'll take that top layer off and reveal the bread. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your body, which was broken on our behalf. That this simple wafer represents your body that was broken for us. By your stripes, we are healed. Thank you for your body. Amen. Let's sing together now, knowing you, Jesus. All I want is you build my life upon all this world. And wars to all, all I want is I have counted lost, spent and worthless now, compared to this, knowing you. Surpassing 
Paul continues in his writing, saying, In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood. Lord, it should have been our blood. But you spilled your perfect blood so that we might be cleansed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Paul finishes up this passage by saying these words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Church, we have proclaimed the Lord's death. We have proclaimed His resurrection. And praise God. 2020 is not the end of the road. He is coming back again one day. And so we will continue to proclaim Him until that day when He shows up.